Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. The topic of this episode is how martial arts are evolving. Joining me in this discussion is Stephen Scott. Two major things that I want to mention before we get started today. First, I want to express my heartfelt thanks to the listeners who have donated through the PayPal tip jar. Your contributions are greatly appreciated. It's the love of the martial arts which keeps us doing what we do, and at the same time, it's true for producing the content that I do on this channel. Thank you very much for your support. Second, it's been several years now since I launched the Spirit Aikido online program. Releasing new videos every few days over that time has resulted in a very large library of material. It's coming up on 300 videos, and I have more on the way. This is a great way for you to get training and practice ideas, which I've gathered from my own Aikido training, gleaned from other instructors, and taken from other arts. Recently, I've covered several techniques where Nage initiates contact, integrating wrestling movements such as the duck under, guillotine, and ankle pick. There are also numerous videos on how to deal with a common street situation, the clinch. Not long ago, a subscriber requested my take on Kihon Waza, so I did a series on Aikido's Kihon Waza and added a few techniques of Aikido that I think should be considered Kihon due to their effectiveness and reliability. If you've been curious to see breakdowns of how I approach my Aikido on the mat, the videos in the Spirit Aikido online program are the best way to go. You get a great deal of content and help support the show at the same time. I encourage you to check it out. There's a link in the description. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to Modern Aikido's podcast and Martial Wisdom. I'm thrilled to have Stephen Scott back with us uh, to have our discussion today. Um, welcome back, Stephen. It's great to have you here. Yeah, hi, Tristan. As always, always a pleasure and an honor to be speaking to yourself and everyone who listens to the show. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This uh, episode, we're going to be talking about how martial arts are evolving. And this is kind of a part two from the last episode that we did on, is there a revolution going on within the martial arts right now? And we, when I talked with Matt State about it, uh, he's doing great work in how to package and brand martial arts in a way that talks to, to people to gain their interest. And I think that that's a crucial part of how an art evolves. It's on the interest of the people that are practicing it, what they want and what they expect from it. Those expectations often come from, they see movies or TV shows or action, or they see sport fights, or they see some kind of, I wanna to learn to do that. And that's what they take to pursuing the art. So when those people come to a martial art, regardless of what their source is, they will have a, well, here's my expectation. Here's my, what I want from it. And they'll usually seek out instructors that can help fill that. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today was what is the effect that, that, uh, that interest is having on martial arts instructors, dojos who are trying to help find what those students are looking for and, and how to satisfy that demand. And I think Aikido one of the problems that it has is it tends to lose people who say, I've seen some kind of a martial art that looks practical and I want to learn that. And they go to an Aikido dojo and they, they get the response of, well, that's not what Aikido is supposed to do. It's not supposed to be practical. It's not there for self-defense. It's there for something else. And they'll say, well, what else? And they'll get kind of a long-winded, mealy-mouth answer that doesn't make any sense. And they'll kind of walk away with it, scratching their head and go, I don't know what that was, but it's not what I'm looking for. Um, and so what I wanted to talk about today was how to put how the, how our art 
or how we do our art, Aikido, is evolving in the face of the shifting times because nothing stays static. No martial art does, no cultural attitude does. Everything is in kind of a state of flux. Um, and it, I think it should evolve, trying to freeze something in time and maintain it the way that it, it was at the, at the moment where it was relevant almost guarantees that in 15, 20, 30, 40 years, it will not be relevant anymore. And I think that's where Aikido is facing. It's, it's facing uh, a drastic level of irrelevance uh, because nobody wants to touch it or change it or, or allow it to be um, exposed to other things, which will in turn evolve it. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, I, I agree completely, Tristan. Is a, what we, we as, as a martial arts community must be aware of is that martial arts have suffered as a result of popularity throughout the years. In the 60s, it was Kung Fu when Bruce Lee was at the height. In the 70s, uh, it, it was still carrying that. In the 80s, it was Karate Kid. Karate took on board. In the 90s, a certain uh, movie star came to the forefront for Aikido and everybody wondered what this was and why you were taking on uh, drunken guys and a liquor store on your knees. Uh, I'll say no more about that. And Aikido became a bit more popular. You know, we all hoped that one day uh, Eric Aleniak would pop out topless out of cake for us and it never ever happened. Um, so, um, and it's, it's evolved. I'm still waiting. Yeah, I'm still waiting. <laughs> I turned 50, my students didn't provide it. I was really disappointed. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, all of these martial arts suffer from publicity and media. And we're seeing a little bit of a revolution again. Actually, revolution is the law. Uh, no, it is a revolution because a revolution involves something coming around. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're seeing a little bit of Aikido in modern mainstream media again through the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Anybody that's not been watching it, it's there. You just have to look for it uh, and you'll see it quite clearly. And things will suffer as a result of that, uh, but not necessarily in a bad way. It's the balance between projecting what the martial art actually is, projecting what it's anticipated to be, and then, as you quite rightly pointed out, dealing with people coming to you as an instructor who look to get involved in this type of martial art, and they have these preconceived ideas, which is one of the things that, as an instructor, it's important that we try and take away from them as quick as possible, but in a positive way. Mm -hmm. because everyone has these expectations as soon as they walk into your dojo and they may have researched you they may have not you may be convenient which let's face it in today's society convenience and closeness is sometimes more important than um, whether or not you are an adequate instructor or the person they want to work with uh, we, we do live in a very fast-paced convenient society now so someone who is likely to go to a dojo five miles away is probably going to go there rather than the one that's 12 miles away because it suits them better so the first perceptions of what Aikido is may be marred or may be altered by as you said these long-winded explanations about what Aikido is and what Aikido is not and that suffers again as a result of people taking on board a single aspect of Aikido that suits themselves and wanting to run with it now, we all know that Aikido is not supposed to be contentious. It's supposed to be about blending, about harmonizing, about making your opponent work for you instead of against you. And that is one of those concepts that is so easily taken to the extreme, whereby it's easy to 
have someone come in and they say, I want to learn Aikido for self-defense. I get this a lot. I've had this a lot. I don't know if it's just living in Scotland, but um, I get a lot of people come to me saying, you know, if something happened and I'm just getting over it and it was a physical altercation and I want to feel safer in myself. They're looking for self-confidence. They're looking for some kind of surety that what they get taught it will help them. And ultimately, I have to tell them that regardless of what martial art they choose to put themselves into, the art itself is not going to keep them safe. Their perceptions of what the art tells them is not going to keep them safe. It's how they as individuals deal with a situation that will keep them safe. And whether they are able to or not able to make use of the skills they learn to apply in a physical altercation because that's two very different things. And that expectation of coming to the martial arts to learn uh, to be safer in oneself, a lot of people don't realize that, that that safety lies inherently within them and the steps that they, want, that they want to or will be willing to take to ensure their safety in the event of a physical interaction with another human being. Well, that's where I wanted this episode to go is, is from the perception that we talked about a lot in the last episode and the kind of the image and into the, the physical. How does, how does that expectation form in the physical? And, I, and I, I like your point about that, you know, what people see as their expectation. Um, and this is where I think starting from the 70s, even with Bruce Lee, the stuff that you saw him do is pretty remarkable. I mean, physically amazing. That's something that, that a even somewhat talented martial arts would have a hard time doing because he was so mm. extraordinary. But now we're seeing entertainment evolve into mm. pure fantasy to the point where somebody says, I just saw John Wick and I want to be able to do that for real. <laughs> he walks in and says, hey, you know, do train me in this. And of course, he's obviously being set up for failure by watching a, you know, I don't know how much that $150 million martial art commercial, really, that's what it is. Basically. Yeah. And, um, and then, like you said, now you need to educate that student to say what you saw was entertaining. It was fantastic, but it was also not real. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's built on real martial arts because it was crafted from that. And that we can, you know, real martial arts, we can train. You can learn mm -hmm. that, whether here or other places or, or a combination of them. But you'll never get to be a Jedi Knight or uh, a John Wick or something because that's mm -hmm. crafted to look that way. It's, it's crafted mm -hmm. to look it's fantasy. exciting. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, martial arts have been entertainment for thousands of years, mm -hmm. but it's never had the same level of ultimate fantasy that we are living in right now with CGI and wire work and, and the incredible camera stuff. And yeah. How, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's posing, you know, even a, a bigger bar, but it's, I want to get back to the people that came to you and said, I want to learn this to protect myself, because I think those are the, that's the guiding light of what a martial art is going to attract, a good martial mm -hmm. art should attract and should fulfill the promise of saying, if you came to me to learn self-defense, that I can show you that and I can teach you and we can make that happen. Not the John Wick thing, but, you know, to make this practical. And, and that's kind of where I want to, want to start with this is, uh, my observation is most modern martial arts, whether they're martial sports or, or what they'd call traditional arts, are very highly specialized. It seems if you look back at the history of them, 
they sort of start combining the farther you go back. They become mm -hmm. more broad, less uh, specialized. Uh, but now, and maybe this is the influence of martial arts wanting to say, well, we're different from those guys across the street, or we're different from that, and we don't do what they do. And that's kind of a source of pride. I, I think that that should not be a source of pride. That should be a source of shame that you say, oh, yeah, you know, this art, what they do, we don't even, we don't do that. We do something else. Mm. We do something better. And then, of course, when it's better, it, now it's the ego kicking in to say yeah. well, we're better than they are because we we do something different than they do. And and I think when when every art gets so hyper specialized, and I've yet to see an art that is immune to this, mm -hmm. every art that gets hyper specialized works its way towards irrelevancy, and mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's a, a a major issue. And I think the last one that everybody can recognize is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Gracie mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu. Even the Gracie family themselves are concerned about how how irrelevant it's becoming because it's so hyper specialized on the sport aspect of what it's trying mm -hmm. to do. Um, and I think that any art that does that, you know, whether like, let's say that the two of us do uh, kickboxing and we, we won't ever deal with a wrestler. We won't ever deal with, uh, you know, somebody from another art. So we don't have to worry about what kind of attacks that they, that they yeah. give us. We only have to worry about you, what you and I do with each other. Well, mm. the more we spend in our little bubble without those outside influences, the more vulnerabilities, the holes we have in our, our art, where should we run into somebody who does know how to do a double leg takedown or, or something that we've never seen before mm -hmm. that can overwhelm you. And I think, I know a lot of people are going to cringe at when I mentioned the M word, the MMA, I do think that the original UFC really cr uh, cracked the door open to opening people's minds to say, you know, you should maybe not just live in your bubble. Maybe you should... Mm -hmm get some exposure to what other people can do and and, yeah. and and therefore learn because the, and I'm not a huge, I'm not a, believe it or not, I'm not a huge UFC watching a viewer. I mean, I, I know of it. I know some of it. I've seen some of it. I, I, there's some good study stuff in there, but I'm not a fan of it. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. follow the, the current trends and stuff like that. Um, mostly because for me, I study violence, not as entertainment. I study yeah. it yeah, same here. I want to understand the realities of it. And I can appreciate a good athlete. I, what they do is fantastic. But um, for me as a martial artist, I don't want to be caught without an answer. If somebody attacks me, regardless of what style or background they come from, I don't want to be caught having nothing. Yeah, I want to mm -hmm. make sure that I have some experience in dealing with all kinds of different attacks. I think that that's what any well-rounded martial artist would be. And if you go back farther in time and you go back to something like the, the original three Greek martial arts of the Olympic games, which was uh, Pancration, Pygmatia, and Pane, which is wrestling, mm -hmm. boxing, and, and basically combined. They didn't worry a lot about uh, heavy restrictions on what techniques you can and can't do. They had, if I remember mm -hmm. right, Pancration had two rules, no eye gouging and no biting. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was it. Everything else was go, go time. And of course, the mm -hmm. Spartans, that, that was two rules too many for the Spartans. They said, that, <laughs> we're not going to bother with those restrictions. <laughs> But when you think about what is a what is a style, what is a martial art, it's usually comprised of a certain subset of techniques or methods that it, it, uh, exclude others. Like wrestling tends to exclude yeah. striking, just like with the original Greek, uh, and vice versa. Um, so, what if if you're just addressing fighting? What if there 
are no really individual styles or forms or schools or arts. It's just fighting. And you know how to be a competent martial artist or you don't, or you're a specialist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I love that. I love the phrase, uh, you know, I'm a martial artist, not a partial artist. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that, that the partial artist is really kind of the plague that, that most martial arts uh, are, are stricken by because mm -hmm. they don't expose themselves to different other, other martial artists to say, all right, what's my answer for going to be for if I mm -hmm. get something mm -hmm. like this? What do you yeah. think? No, uh, I, I agree completely. Uh, you, you just covered an absolute ton of stuff there, so I'm going to try and remember as much as I can <laughs> uh, as I respond to that. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree that um, there is a, an, an extreme polarity now when it comes to how people perceive the martial arts. You, you have the fantasists and the realists. The realists love the MMA, the fantasists love the John Wick. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you have people coming to you looking for something, invariably they're looking for one or the other. The, the, the fantasists want to learn the flashy techniques and want to be this crazy character they see on screen immediately. The realists want to look at what you do and either make that work for them or tell you that would never work in a real fight, even though they themselves have probably never been in a real life-threatening situation 99% of the time. They've maybe been in an altercation outside a pub or a club, but they've never actually been in that life-threatening moment where you know everything's on the line so in order to come at you with that type of argument is itself unreasoned but plays into their own fantasy and this plays into this bubble fantasy that you've just talked about where the majority of people I've met in my martial arts life cycle I don't use the term journey because a journey implies that I'm going on a trip I'm not I tend to find that things come round and round and round and I like to talk about it as a life cycle the fantasy element there keeps recurring and failing and going back and coming back and going away again. And this comes in terms of how people perceive what the best martial art is that they want to do. And as you quite rightly pointed out, even BJJ is an amazing sport. I've rolled with guys in BJJ and they've taught me a hell of a lot about stuff, about groundwork, about how to move, about how to take things. But at the same time, I've also taught them a hell of a lot about how to not end up on the ground how to take people's posture, how to break their concentration, how to make them aware of things like uh, the Sankaku triangular principle and where their Kazushi point is, where they're off balance and where I can prevent them from actually throwing me to the ground in the first place by taking their posture. And we've played off each other and we've had a good laugh, a lot of bruises, very tired, lots of sweat, but great fun. And we've learned off each other. That's and what I it's think all that's, about right there. That's what it's all about. And that's... That's the key to it. There's a lot of people who want to be safe in that bubble and they love being in that bubble and that bubble gives them power because within their bubble, whether it's a, an organizational bubble, a martial arts style bubble or a single club bubble, they hold the power. They hold the power over everyone else who comes in who must, it's going to sound really terrible, but bow down towards them because they are the most powerful one in the room with their bubble secure. And I'm a, I'm a, um, what's the word? I'm a serial bubble burster at times uh, when it comes to that. Um, and I've, I've learned that through doing karate, judo, glima, you, you know, uh, uh, iaido, wing chun, aikido, jiu-jitsu, aikido, jiu-jitsu, iaido, kendo. I've, I've, I've delved into all these things. The things that stuck with me most were the judo, karate, and aikido. 
but I learned a hell of a lot from the other stuff. You know, and that, because that's where the growth is. It's, it's, yes. I've met many martial artists, like you said, that you can tell when they, when they enjoy their bubble and when faced with the idea of, of moving outside of it, you get a feeling of almost terror. Like there, that's what's going to say. Concern about humiliation. There's a concern about, well, I'm getting outside my comfort zone. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Um, You know, what'll happen. And to me, that's just as, that should be trying to light to say you're really not confident in what you do. You know it. You don't really mm-hmm. want to face it or look in the mirror and say, if "I'm not where I should be," because mm-hmm. if you really knew your stuff, you'd you'd be happy to go and and you know exactly yeah. interact with with somebody else. And I mean, it, and I, and this is where I think the 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 fantasy has gone so far where you see not, not only with Aikido, but with many other styles that have, that are heavily bubbleized, where some senior who's completely high on his own magnificence goes out and has believes in himself so much that he challenges an actual real martial artist or fighter and (laughs) gets annihilated. Oh, I've seen the videos. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I've never interviewed anybody that's done that, but I, I imagine like what on earth are you delusion? Are you thinking? Yeah, that you would engage to that. Have you well, hypnotized yourself so well that you really mm-hmm. believe that you're going to prevail or even have yeah. a chance? Well, it's hard to talk to them, Tristan, because if I can quote a movie, if I can quote a line from the Great Blues Brothers without swearing, it's hard to talk and you've got no <laughs> teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, right, right. Yeah, you, you know, which is, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to do that. And it's, um, there is a, there's a point, and this is the risk we have nowadays, I think, is that it, it, it's there's a difference between someone believing in their bubble and believing in their hype. Mm-hmm. And feeling safe and secure in your bubble is fine. And if you don't like to go out with that, if it's a nasty, dirty world out there, you know, that's okay. As long as you're honest about that with your students, mm-hmm. as long as you're not lying to anyone. And if someone comes to you and says, I want to learn what you do, I saw it online, it looks amazing. All right, okay, well, Here's how this works. I'm going to move your hand. I'm going to move my hand and you're going to jump. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's how this bubble works. And if someone wants to buy into that, no one has the right to say that's incorrect. As long as that student is aware that this is only working because I am doing everything for this individual. Right. When they try to trick them out of that and say, I am moving you, isn't that amazing? Or oh, you didn't jump. You're supposed to jump, but I'm moving you. That is that is an untruth, that's a lie, that's a fallacy. And that is like, we're almost getting into the cult status at that point, which is an entirely different conversation for a different time, I think. But um, when it comes down to people who are safe in their own bubble, invariably it comes from lack of confidence, lack of ability, and just someone who wants to strengthen their own position within their own environment. Mm -hmm. And while it's not necessarily the most honorable respectful position to be in I can understand as long as they are honest about it I can let that go it's I've I've been subject to verbal attack over the years where people have claimed that what I do is flowery because what they saw me doing was using big movements in the beginners class to accentuate hip movement arm movement that type of thing they saw me once or twice and thought what he does is very flowery it would never work in a real situation they're not seeing the truth behind that. They're not seeing how the, the applied aspect of that technique works. They're seeing 
a, a one-minute sliver into a 30-year concept. And within that one minute, they're making their mind up about it. And that in itself, again, is not a good way to approach martial arts because you're only seeing a tiny aspect of it. But at no point did I say to anyone, we're doing these big movements, you're going to jump and you're going to do what I tell you. You're, what I said to them was, I'm going to do these movements, you're going to feel what's going on. And you're going to learn from that and you're going to take that and apply it to this technique. And it's, it's, it's a very... I don't want to use the term savage, but um, I, I think a lot of the martial arts world is becoming very savage and it's easy to turn in on ourselves as martial artists against other martial arts, just like you said, that it's we don't do that type of thing because we, we, we don't like it. What they're actually saying is, I don't understand that, therefore I'm not accepting that, therefore I'm not going to open myself up to the challenge that I might learn something from this because I'm safe in this bubble. Mm -hmm. My bubble is my domain. And if someone comes in and suddenly grabs my leg and lifts it and I don't know how to deal with that, I'm going to look stupid. And I can't afford that because I'll lose students. And that brings into a different aspect, which is all about the monetary aspect, keeping hold of students, that type of thing. Now, uh, I constantly look stupid in front of my students, not because I do things wrong, but because I, I take my art very seriously but I have no problems not taking myself seriously. But I take my art and what I teach extremely seriously. So I will happily put myself on the spot and make a mistake to show them how easy it is to make that mistake mm -hmm. and put myself on the firing line for that and then try and correct that the next time. And it might take me two or three attempts, particularly if we get a visitor from another club. you know. And um, I remember once I invited a boxer the class and it was fabulous I was loving it and I've done pad work with boxers and I've done boxing myself and we're trying to do techniques and he says how would this work against a you know a, a straight followed by a hook and I said I don't know let's try it so he did the straight and I blocked it then he hooked me and knocked me flat in my ass <laughs> and I thought, and then, so when I got the feeling back in the side of my face I thought okay that was funny uh, let's try that again and he did it again and clipped me again but he just clipped me Mm -hmm. And then I thought, right, I'm learning here. The, the whole class was aghast. They were like, oh, my God, he's not sensitive onto the ground. I'm like, oh, calm down. I'm learning here. This is fun. Do you know? And then so we started working on that technique, straight right hook, straight right hook. And uh, by the end of the night, we were able to apply Ikkyo, Shihonage, Tenshinage, Iriminage against all these two-step combos. And that was 20 years ago. And I've always kept that in the syllabus and I've always kept that in the training is that um, it, there's no shame in acknowledging that you don't know something and opening yourself up to further education. I as think a result the only shame is turning away and say, and say Absolutely. the opportunity, I have an opportunity here to learn something, but I'm not going to do it. I've, yeah, I've, yeah, that's where the shame lies. And some people may perceive that as I'm protecting myself, therefore my students don't see that side of me, therefore I'm still in my power. Mm -hmm. But I personally, I would rather be out of my power and lying on my ass, holding my jaw, thinking, how did he do that? Show me that again. And that's the key. That's the word that I always put into my students. Never be afraid to ask that. Show me that again. Mm -hmm. Show me that again until you understand what's happened and go back to it. And I'm planning courses over here with guys doing... 
it's mixed courses, but the, the core element here is Aikido. But I'm going to look at guys that are bringing over boxing, wrestling, all sorts of things. And it's, it's how to deal with those situations so that as a whole, Aikidoka, they are more in line and more capable of dealing with changing situations. Because it's all fine and well working from Yoko Minucci. I'm going to attack you on the side of your head. Here it comes on the side of your head. You're ready for the side of your head. Here it comes at three miles an hour. Yes. It looks great. Oh, actually, it doesn't. It looks terrible. But um, <laughs> it's safe. Agreed. It's safe and it's fun. And, you, you know, you touch them and they go flying and you look like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it, it doesn't work. When it comes to what's actually happening, that's the most important thing. And it's finding that good balance between the fun aspect of learning, letting your students know it's okay to err. There is no problem with making an error. It's Getting it wrong is not a problem. You know, getting up and getting back home with it is a, a virtue. Mm -hmm. Stopping because you got it wrong is a vice. Right, it is. You know, and I think that that's what you describe as having somebody come into the dojo. I've experienced it many times. I think almost every Aikidoka has when somebody comes in to try a class out or maybe they start and they want to give it a try, but maybe they have a bit of a background. Maybe they've done some boxing, maybe they're a wrestler, maybe they just had brothers they tangled with all the time and they kind mm. of, well, what would you do you know, if I did this or what the what if thing? And you know, I've, I've always liked that, just like you described. I like it when they throw me a surprise. I like it when they start to play a little bit. Um, I know that there are some instructors that absolutely will look down on, you do not do anything that I didn't tell you to do specifically. Don't go off the, mm -hmm. off the off the track um but the experience itself in my opinion is invaluable you you learn so much just like you described of well what happens when somebody with a different experience comes in and shows what they can do you know the response mm -hmm. that you'd have from from their whatever it is they bring to the table um you know of course as an instructor i want to train my students so that if that new person comes in to class and they get surprised they won't be caught totally unaware um hopefully you know you can't cover everything but but to mm -hmm. have somebody have students well-rounded enough and adaptable enough that's the other part of i think getting stuck too much into paired kata is that you're teaching certain mm -hmm. rec technique recipes and then what happens when you're you're now having to wing it um and so that's where i think the the, the geowaza live play more of the mm -hmm. You know, live attacker work uh, is is invaluable. Yeah, but I, I did want to cover a little bit too of um, how the background of of arts, martial arts, as they spread, they do influence each other when they cross. When two, you know, mm. when two enemies uh, face off, whether they're nations or individuals, they will learn from one another. Uh, just mm -hmm. the way that you pointed out, somebody will get hit with that cross and be like, "But well, I better figure out what to do about that thing." Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's what evolves their art. And, and it, the influence goes both ways because in my opinion, every artist got some real jewels in terms of great things that that art does better than anything else. And mm -hmm. to me, those are worth stealing. And I mean, I'll, I'll steal them. Yeah. Um, you know, some go so deep into esoteric stuff and Aikido is no different that it's like, well, that's great. It's fun, but it's really not, I wouldn't put it in that, that, top five for 10% of just, wow, this works. It almost works every time. High percentage, mm -hmm. low risk, uh, just fantastic. But, mm -hmm. you know, when, when arts have spread throughout history, 
you'll see influences spread from region to region as dominant, powerful techniques become known and they'll spread. And, uh, you know, I heard that uh, you know, the, the Irish martial arts were, really had no formal lineage. They just have, okay, son, here's what I, I you know, beat O'Malley in mm. this last fight. Uh, you know, this is how I won that, this. Let me show yeah. you, son, when you got to go fight, I'll show you what, how it works. And, and it's very informal that way. But yet mm -hmm. the, art, the arts that they did, you know, the, those techniques were certainly valid. Um, yeah. Just because you, you don't have a you know, big certificate lineage going on doesn't mean exactly. there's, not, yeah. there's not great material there. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think attitude is a big thing. And you struck on it earlier, you know, about what attitude do you have when it comes to other arts, whether it's you think yours is superior to anybody else's or uh, that another art is just so beneath you that you have nothing to learn from them. I think, I think mm -hmm. these are toxic attitudes and I was the attitude of I'll go into just about any dojo and be like, show me where you've got your gold. Cause I'm stealing it. You know, I, I'd love, mm -hmm. I'll love and see, see what your best stuff, yeah. you know, your bread and butter is. And it's usually the bread and butter stuff. And the, the sad part for me is when I visit other martial artists and, and train with them and work with them, they tend to want to get into the weird esoteric stuff because they get bored with their bread and butter techniques. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they, they start showing the super fancy and I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I, I think there's something more direct and, and uh, effective that, I, that mm -hmm. I can see from this. But and when yeah. I find it, when I talk with an instructor or with another practitioner and they're like, oh, that's what you're looking for. I'll, here, let me show you. I'm usually amazed. And uh, it's just such a great uh, influence mm -hmm. to bring in. That, yeah. And I, as I did it more and more, I found there were fewer differences and much more similarities to Aikido and basically most arts are quite similar to each other mm -hmm. so where they drift and become much different is where they get into that hyper specialization again yeah absolutely it's it, it, it's it's all up here with them mm -hmm. uh, I I've taught at a couple of different arts over the years uh, I'm trying to think exactly what ones a uh, the one that sticks in my mind was I went to a Laogar Kung Fu club and they asked me to show a little bit of Aikido. And I started the course by saying, right, show me a little bit of Laogar. And they did. And I said, right, I'm going to show you where the Aikido fits into that based on the movements you've just shown me. I'm not going to tell you Aikido is better than Laogar. I'm going to show you where you can use your Laogar to access Aikido. Laogar, what is that art? It's it's a uh, kung fu. It's uh, I'm uh, Laogar kun, uh, Laogar fist. It means uh, I I'm not sure. It's a kind of hard style of kung fu, mm -hmm. uh, almost akin to I think uh, Shukukai or Shitoru style karate, okay. as opposed to Shotokan karate. Although mm -hmm. I'm sure someone out there is going to correct me on it, and I'm sorry, I don't <laughs> know the ins and outs. I just remember, as opposed to the softer styles of kung fu, it's more a karate style of kung fu. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So um, they showed me their stuff and I showed them, right, that block you're doing, this can easily be extended out and become Ikkyo. That term you're doing, this can easily become Tainohenka into Kaiten Nagi. And I showed them how the techniques work. I said, don't try and change what you're doing to do Aikido. Allow the Aikido to be absorbed by what you're doing. And so to, to be absorbed into what you're doing so that the, the, the line between your Lauga Kung Fu and Aikido 
doesn't exist. So the, the two merge. So here's what you're doing and here's what it can become if you choose that. And they loved it. It was a great course. I had a great time. It was fabulous because I think they were coming in expecting me to say, right, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. And I always, I don't know why I did that that day, but ever since then, I've always had that attitude. I think it's because whenever people came to do courses with us, it was always, this is what we do. And look how amazing this is. Don't you wish you were doing this? And that's a very typical approach that a lot of uh, instructors will take when coming into a new group or into, you know. Yeah, this is what I do. Look how devastating it is. Don't you want to do this? And I had this experience a couple of weeks ago with this guy who came to do a course. He was invited along by one of my other students. And yeah, what he was doing was okay. But it was always this kind of, I kind of felt it was talking down to us all the time. And it's not how I like to teach. Mm-hmm. I like to at least be on a level, if not trying to talk up, because I have a great deal of respect for all other martial arts. And I feel that the techniques in Aikido, while they work fine on their own, they also have a great place in other martial arts and vice versa. Aikido is, O-sensei himself admitted that Aikido is remiss of certain elements. Mm-hmm you know, for specific reasons. And he himself did not take Aikido down those lines because of his vision for the art as a whole and also the developments in Japan post-war mm. had a massive effect on where Aikido was going to end up, sure. which, why, which well, I, I, I truly believe. From what I understand, there was, all, there was also some dispute about the branding, whether or not he should be teaching Daito Ru Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, he had his teaching certificate from mm-hmm. Sukaku Takeda, but whether or not he kind of wanted to separate from Takeda and Daito Ru and have his own mm-hmm. interpretation, oh. which could be, you could say maybe it was political, but I think every martial artist is, their art is unique to them, even within within a certain art. Your Aikido is mm-hmm. different than mine. And, Absolutely. And, and yeah. I don't think that there's any reasonable expectation that you're going to have a ubiquitous art where you can have practitioners that are all doing exactly the same thing even though that's how many martial arts try to do that they try to make Mm -hmm. little cookie cutter copies of yeah that's it exactly you know yeah um, and they they try to copy it whereas uh, you can do that with a science you can't do that with an art you can't do it with an art no and i've i've tried to explain this to people almost in those cookie cutter terms is that uh, how, how many times can you half a cookie? Mm-hmm. Indefinitely, depending on how thin your blade is. Right. You, you know, it's like how, how many times can you cut into a circle? How many angles are there in the circle? 360. No, there aren't. There's an infinite number of angles in a circle. It just depends how tightly and close-knit you get into it. And were we to train, hopefully someday, uh, directly, I will learn just as much from you, possibly yeah. more, I hope, I'll learn more from you. I'll grab all your stuff and I'll keep it. (laughs) (laughs) And you might learn something from me. And that'd be amazing. And that's what it's all about. And it's, but everyone wants to make this crafted shape. And even O-Sensei himself, if I remember correctly, he he didn't call it Aikido. He called it Ueshi Baha Aiki Bujutsu, which was his own style of uh, warrior arts, Mm -hmm. which separated it from the Daito Ryu. Mm-hmm. And it separated it from other forms of martial art. And it's, it's where I, I have a real issue with that term martial art, because martial art is a westernization of the term budo from Japan. Mm-hmm. And budo does not mean martial art. The word budo in itself, in case your listeners don't know, 
effectively means the way to stop the advancement of spears, mm. i.e. how to stop an advancing unit or army or individual. And there's many ways to do that. It can be done by attack. It can be done by retreat. It can be done by surrender. It can be done by negotiation. The warrior arts are not just a single element of fighting. It involves also diplomacy, administration, all these types of things, how you handle any given situation. And I've diffused more situations through, through alcohol then I have got into problems through alcohol. It's easy enough to bump into someone, apologise and offer to buy them a beer than it is to slap them in the face and accuse them of bumping into you. And it's, it, that's all still forms of Buddha. And whether or not people want to acknowledge that or not, they can if they want to, and they can choose to decide, no, that's not what the martial arts are about. But I'm sorry, they're wrong. That's what the martial arts are about. It's about defusing a situation. There are many ways to stop the spears of an enemy, and it's not just about fighting. And um, we need to remember that and that when we westernize terms like martial arts, the word martial comes from Mars, the, god, uh, the Roman god of war. So we automatically assume it's the arts of war. Now, the arts of war involve tactics, strategy, diplomacy, logistics. That's not fighting. Mm -hmm. War arts you know, are completely you different. That because as people ask me, like, well, you know, what is Aikido to you? To me, Aikido is a way of strategy. Yeah, that has a physical realm to it, certainly, but mm -hmm. and that that physical realm is an avenue into learning the strategy. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I I do think it's it's bigger and encompass it encompasses those things. And I, and I like how you said that it was you mentioned without it was like formless or something because that reminded me of Bruce Lee's thing about the water. You know, it, yeah, water yeah. can take any form. It can, you know, it it has that flexibility, but it has power to it. It, it mm -hmm. to me. That's exactly how you would describe a good way of describing what a, a strategist, how they would view mm -hmm. the physical realm of the art is it has its purpose. It's not the first tool that you use, but it should be the last one. And, mm -hmm. and that, uh, you know, I like how, you know, any martial artist, any, even any fighter who's not just a thug would agree that you don't want to get into a physical fight you want to avoid it you want to negotiate your way through yeah. it you want to figure out some maybe cunning deception that you can avoid mm -hmm. having having to go into that realm um, mm -hmm. and that includes people that i know that have worked in security all their lives are like i do not want to get into a firefight i do not want to get into no. a fist fight i don't want i don't know what somebody's going to pull out you know? exactly yeah. so you, and you want to avoid uh, that. yeah my wife has worked Previously, I'm sure she wanted me talking with victims of crime and to help them through the trauma of what's happened to them. Sometimes those victims of crime have not been necessarily, theoretically, the victim. They could have been the instigator, but they're the one that ended up worse off. And invariably what you find is that the when situations arise, nobody wants to get into very few people want to get straight into that negative direct conflict situation even someone who for example you could have a homeless person who pulls a knife on someone wanting money because they're desperate there's a high probability that homeless person has no intention of using that weapon but by trying to take it off them you force them to use that weapon now is that worth it for 10 bucks that you happen to have in your wallet these are the types of critical decisions that Budoka followers of the warrior arts should be thinking about 
is my life worth more than the 10 bucks in my wallet? And is the, the, the problems that I'm going to be facing worth more than what I'm currently looking at right now? You know, how dire is this situation? And it's something I say to my students. One of my students was attacked once and it brought up a whole conversation. He was hit with a gang of youths in a, a park. And we had to ask a couple of questions and he said to me, what should I have done? He was macheted across his chest. And I said, well, first things first, were you aware there was a gang of youths in the park? And he said, yeah. I said, so did you choose to go through the park? Yes. Why? Because I just wanted to get home. I was like, yeah, but could you have walked around the park? Yeah, but it would have taken three minutes more. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to say that the right thing or the wrong thing, but through your choices, you chose to put yourself into an environment that was theoretically potentially more hostile than the other alternative presented to you at that moment. So there is no amount of training I could have given him. He's still one of my students. He's one of my downgrades. He's learned a lot. Uh, I said, there's no amount of training I could have given you to deal with six guys in a park, one of whom was carrying a machete, and the other, another two of whom could have been carrying blades. There's nothing I could teach you to tell you how to deal with that. You made a conscious choice to walk into a dangerous environment. And, and then I said, what are you drinking? Yeah, yeah, I'd had about, you know, 10 pints. I said, so your, your, your impairment was lost. So you found yourself in an unfortunate situation, isolated, without friends, in a hostile environment, and there was a negative result came of that. You, you know, that's different from finding yourself face-to-face -face with someone who's desperate, who doesn't want to use a weapon. You walked into a situation where someone wanted to use a weapon, as opposed to finding yourself in a situation with someone who doesn't want to use a weapon. See, that's two entirely different situations. The second one I can maybe help you with, the first one there's nothing I can do. And... That sunk into him quite a bit, and I didn't see him for about three months. And then he came back, and he turned his life around. He changed his lifestyle. He changed how he does things. He changed his friends that had abandoned him, and he'd got himself into a much more positive space. And he said he didn't a very, he didn't realise at the time he did it in, 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 in a very icky way. He looked at where he was. He looked at what was unbalancing him. He looked at what was unbalancing his life. He looked at ways to try and re-establish stability re-established control in himself and then took that forward and that in itself to me is martial strategy how to improve your life and to ensure that you don't end up in those same situations because that could have been very serious for him you know speaking of, of martial strategy it reminds me of a, a story that my students one of my students told me from about a year ago he was out uh, biking with his daughter and they stopped and uh, some guy walked up to him and said hey you know i'm looking for directions and he said i was in a position where if I was going to point where I where he wanted to go I would have had to turn my back on and he said something mm -hmm. about this guy kind of I don't know his, inst his instinct started to kind of tell him hey just be careful and but because we'd been training a lot of Bashiro attacks and you know being grabbed and spun from behind and, and we were working on chokes and things like that you know that if somebody gets behind you and gets the drop on you you can be in mm -hmm. trouble in a blink of an oh, eye yeah. and he yeah. says I knew this so he said, when I went to point, I kind of backed up. And, and so I was still facing him, but I said, okay, follow this path and you go around the corner and, and there's where you would need to go. He was mm -hmm. always in front of me. My daughter was always behind me. Mm -hmm. And I you know, said, nothing ever happened of it. It was, didn't turn into any, any kind of attack, but he said, I realized that I, I had the awareness to keep from being put in a, a vulnerable position. And this kind of comes back 
to, to the, the topic, which is if you train in a sport where it's okay to, to, to show your back to somebody, yeah, you can overlook a crucial piece of strategy that in a real situation can be, that could be the end of you. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so this is where, you know, if you look at the, the, the tree of, I'll use the term you don't care for martial arts and you no. go to, you go <laughs> back to interesting, honestly. where yeah. instead of all the tiny little branches of all the different arts, you go back to where the trunk is, where that where they're all yeah. the same. Um, and that's where I like the word hoplology because it describes mm. the art of human combat, combat mm-hmm. of behavior. And there are principles that, that I think are universal and not giving your back to somebody who you aren't complete, don't completely trust is one of those because mm-hmm. you know how vulnerable you are back there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've trained in, in Aikido dojos where in their randoris, they'll say, you know, they'll t- tell Ukes, okay, well, if you come up behind Nage, just grab them from behind, don't, don't punch them or don't, don't hit them. And what that creates is Nages who don't mind having somebody behind them. They don't mind turning their back on an uke who's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. this, if there was one bad habit that you should absolutely positively purge from your behavior is being concerned about what's behind you. Um, mm-hmm. it certainly don't let somebody back there or put or turn your back. So you're putting them back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is just one of the things I think that are uh, how the, as arts evolve, or you could say devolve, they either bring in bad habits or they, they don't flush those bad habits out because of how they, how they train. And, mm-hmm. you know, and like you, I respect all martial arts. Um, but as I see when, and what my favorite example for this is, uh, Muay Thai and I love Muay Thai. Muay Thai in my mm-hmm. opinion, is one of the best striking arts out there bar none. It is, mm-hmm. Uh, tough competitors, great, yeah. great stuff. I mean, fantastic. And you can look at it and you can see that what they call it, the head plum or the, the, yeah. the, the, you know, where they get the head locked over. That's a very powerful position in Muay Thai dominant because in Muay Thai, they don't allow body locks, body slams or charging. You mm-hmm. take those, those out of the equation. And now you get a, a headlock, you know, what mm-hmm. they call it, the, uh, um, a clinch collar tie the wrestlers call oh, it double, it, double collar tie. it's not what call it right, right. yeah i mean if you take away those counters to that collar tie now you've got a position that's dominant and in the mm-hmm. same way brazilian jiu-jitsu being on the bottom in a guard is a solid position because you've taken out mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that wrestlers will do to punish somebody that's laying on their back underneath mm-hmm. them on the ground and so with without any disrespect to any of those arts by the way you form what's what you've removed, you've now created a hyper specialty that has that's know, right. Yeah. That has vulnerabilities to somebody who understands the principles of hoplology and how to apply those mm-hmm. things. And mm-hmm. um, you know, for example, strategy, they always say, you know, take the high ground. And I think hand-to-hand and grappling, same thing. You want to be on top putting your weight on somebody else. And this is why I like wrestling so much. Um, mm-hmm. because it has that principle. Now, wrestlers they the sport wrestlers don't mind turning their back because they don't get choked out. You take chokes out of the equation and you can, you can turn your back on an opponent. I don't yes. like that part. So like, there's no perfect grappling sport or no perfect sport. We have to look that, you know, in my opinion, at least I have to look beyond those to say, all right, what mm-hmm. are the principles of hoplology that are solid that are going to make sure we're we don't have a, you know, a, a b- big blind spot that's going to be trouble. 
for somebody mm -hmm. to get you know to get exploited with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's it is one of those concepts of uh, unfortunately Aikido, and that, I mean this in the, the the broadest sense. Main, let me rephrase that. Mainstream Aikido has a lot of blind spots. It's very weak on the ground. It's it encourages in some clubs and some styles. It encourages the turning of the back on an opponent. It, it, it encourages moving under the the focus where uh, your partner is going to be providing the majority of the momentum that's going to make the technique work and it doesn't want to acknowledge that and i think that's one of the the biggest weaknesses and i think that's one of the things as you point out that that leaves it vulnerable to online attack mm -hmm. because it's anyone who has any experience in a combative or sport art such as wrestling such as bjj such as judo even uh, can immediately see the flaws in presenting a left arm and someone grabbing it then running around you to the front mm -hmm. to then have a technique applied when all they had to do was grab your arm not run around the front and choke the life out of you from the back Mm -hmm. which would make much more sense in a combative aspect. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and that's where it's, it becomes very important that as Aikidoka, we understand and we are able to adjust our body position and to bring our body weight to bear so that we can change our partner's position so that they are not obligingly moving around us we are taking their momentum from them and making it work for us understanding that we have a blind spot that we can't have exploited mm -hmm. and i may be lucky i i trained originally in a mixed club it, it taught aikido and our instructors were also aikido jiu-jitsu aikido aikido jiu-jitsu a little bit of karate experience so uh, in my old club, if you turned your back in the instructor, he would probably punch you in the head. And when I say probably, I mean definitely, and I'm speaking from experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so you would oh. find out, or he would just kick you up the ass, to be honest. Uh, I had that done to me once as well. Um, and with the warning, don't turn your back on anyone, get me around you, don't turn your back on me. And it's easy to see where, particularly in some of the Irimi Tenkan movements, mm -hmm. it looks like you're turning your back on someone when you shouldn't be. You're not turning your back on them, you're drawing them around you, and it's two completely different concepts. And, yeah, it's it, it's it's very easy for that. Oh, I have a story I want to jump in with. Yeah, sure. I think what you're talking about, too, is, uh, at least this reminded me of it, that I think as people are seeing more and more violence, whether it's through sports or movies or or what have you, the, the audience is getting more sophisticated. Even without training, mm. somebody can jump on your back and wrap their arms around your neck and yeah. probably get a fairly decent choke. Or you know, they, they can see how many how getting hooks into somebody and wrapping up on their back can be effective. I the mean, story I wanted Tristan, to share. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's face it, anybody who's watched the Christmas story, right, has probably seen that happen with little Ralphie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. You know, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. But when he goes mad in that ginger boy, that I'm pretty sure if I remember right, that's exactly what he does to him. He yep. just launches himself at him from the back, takes him mm -hmm. to the ground, and punches seven bells out his face. 
Yeah. Um, so you don't need to have massive amounts of martial arts training. Just want a BB gun and be like Ralphie, and you can be a master martial artist. That's you right. I mean? So there we go. The, the oh, it's a, a, BB gun. Was, uh, a few years ago, I got together with uh, with another very senior uh, Aikido instructor, and, and he came from a very uh, more of a soft and, and fluffy background. And he had a presentation. We got to work together a little while, and, and there was a young lady there that was watching the whole thing. And, and uh, she was just out of high school. I think she was 19 years old and she was just watching kind of everything that was going on, including the presentation this gentleman made. And I'll, I'll keep from naming him. But um, after the whole thing was over, I, I asked her, I said, well, what, what did you think of what you saw today? And she just looked at me and said, that guy doesn't know anything about violence. And you know, this surprised me coming from a 19 year old, mm. very slight girl. I've seen more violence in high in you know the last year in high school than you know I know that whatever the stuff that he was talking about makes zero sense. Like violence doesn't happen like that. Yeah. It was sobering for me because at 19 years old, how much violence would one expect to have been exposed to? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought that much, but you know, it's it's it seems to be that by the time you know a young person gets out of high school, they've either been personally involved in violent incidents or they've been firsthand witnesses to them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that adds, I mean, in my opinion, she had more knowledge of real violence than this Aikido instructor did, who yeah, that that to me is a, a major alarm bell of mm -hmm. having, you know, a well-known name be representing well here's here's how we can effectively deal with violence and you have a teenager who basically says you don't make any sense at all um, yeah and and i think that that you know as violence it's it we can get into a whole different story here of how violence has become so such a big part of entertainment that mm -hmm. people are just are flooded with it whether they're kids or teens or adults or you know what have you they're seeing it all the time um it it the I think it does have an effect, but it also makes them more familiar with what actually does work. Whether the, you know, like you said, whether they practice it or not. And I know mm -hmm. kids. I've seen stories of kids that watch professional wrestling and they'll jump off the garage roof onto each other and you know throw chairs <laughs> at each other's heads and you know what they see on TV. They wind up playing yeah. around. Yeah, never done that. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, and you could make an argument that, you know, 40 years ago, you didn't have that same level of influence. But mm -hmm. um, but I think that that as people are as the age goes on and this could be yet another influence on the evolution where people say, I'm seeing violence on a daily basis. Maybe I need to learn something about it. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't I shouldn't just be the one who's uh, you know helpless against somebody who wants to grab me, push me, drag me somewhere. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a great potential for this evolution to not only include people that that after, as they see so much of it, they want they want to not feel helpless, and I mm -hmm. think that explains perhaps the the self defense interest that you mentioned. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I know people don't like feeling helpless. That's for sure. No, that's the thing. Yeah, and uh, you, you you hit on something very important there, which is, and I've I've had this mentioned a couple of times particularly where um, I, I've had people come to me after training in Aikido and say, I've done this before and this happened, that happened, you know, I was showing this thing and I'm like, right, okay, what, you're what do you want from your training? 
do you want to have something you can apply or do you want to be doing something that's just fun to do or do you want something that's fitness based or it's all different Aikido is a fabulous martial art because it has the capability to fulfill all of those functions Mm -hmm. but only if the instructor is willing to acknowledge and train themselves in the study of all of those functions Mm -hmm. and invariably I'm going to use a term here uh, a lot of Aikido people can be cloistered absolutely just like every other martial art yeah absolutely and that as long as they function within, and uh, for anyone who doesn't understand what I'm talking about there, when I say cloistered, it, it, it invariably means like they're living within their own brand of reality that suits them, that's within their, their own ethic, in their bubble. It's the same way I've seen in their bubble, but perhaps in a less nice way, is that <laughs> they only want to deal with what's immediately in front of them. You, you know, it's uh, usually used in a kind of religious sense. For example, where, you know, Christians only deal with Christianity, it's cloistered. Uh, You know, Buddhists only deal with Buddhism, it's cloistered. And it's the same in Aikido. There's a lot of people who only want to deal with what they are comfortable with to the point where anything else, it's it's worse than not wanting to acknowledge it. It's just, it's it's worse than not wanting to, to accept it. They don't acknowledge that an alternative can exist beyond that because that would take everything away from them uh, and again that's brought around full circle to that point and I think that's that's really interesting about that young lady who was able to look at something that was being delivered quite clearly just from the way you're talking about by someone who was probably quite high up mm-hmm. in the Aikido if not the media then the Aikido world and she is immediately making the decision that this is someone that doesn't know what they're talking about in terms of reality and that brings us on to a whole different aspect of things is that is Aikido a realist martial art or is it something that only suits the cloistered lifestyle? And me personally, I feel it is a real genuine martial art, but this comes down to go back to how I started this. This comes down to the individuals. Mm -hmm. It's the individual Aikidoka who will be able to make this an effective martial art. There are many who will want to live in that bubble and provided they are clear they're living in a bubble and they don't pretend to be something else, I'll be honest, I've got to that point where I'm quite happy to leave them in that bubble. But whenever someone comes to me and they start quoting about the person in that bubble, I immediately shut them down and say, look, that there, that's their aspect, that's what they do, this is what we do, come and try this and see if it's different, see if it's what you don't expect to see. And if I can show you one thing that's better than what you're expecting to see, then that's progress. You know, and I wanted to add to that too, because in my opinion, having tried a lot of martial arts uh, and dabbled with some, dedicated myself to some for some period of time, I think, this is my opinion, but I think that Aikido is probably the best platform to start with. That, that does not, uh, that has great fundamentals to augment, to, to use as your basis as you bring other things in to kind of mm-hmm. fulfill it out, to, to take care of removing those, those glaring holes in, in the omissions part. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, I, I like the movement, I, and I love judo, but judo has, is um, 
it does everything from the hardest position to, to deal with somebody, which is right in front <laughs> yeah. of like, yeah. you're making your job harder by being in that spot. And, mm -hmm. and I love their throws. No, no art does hip throws or foot sweeps better than judo. And I, and I'll steal both of those because they're, they're mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that, but how Aikido tends to use movement, it tends to keep both feet on the ground. One thing that frustrates me about judo is how quickly they'll, the, a judoka will, will go onto one foot and take their balance completely. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And almost, almost all throws are in some way a sacrifice throw or they end up that way. And mm -hmm. that part I like to avoid. Um, I'd rather Absolutely. stand on my feet yeah. and standing, you know, pancreation style mm -hmm. and be over somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Tristan, I need to teach you some gleamer. I'm absolutely. I'm looking. Oh man, to you will love that. You I'm, will love I'm that. You're looking forward you, to that. You will kick my ass, but <laughs> I can't see it. But I can show you so much of that. Yeah, oh, you that'd will be love fantastic. that because it's it's a totally different martial art. But its fundamental posture is akin to a good balking posture. Sure. Without yeah, the, so without the foot turned out. off at the angle, you know, mm -hmm. if you keep your feet in line, you're mm -hmm. in the same posture, and yep. it's the same. That was what happened to me when I went looking, and I discovered I was by no means any good at Wing Chun, but I discovered that when they talk about alignment, that's what was missing from the Aikido right. that I had been showing. So There's I started to pull the alignment and the angles in. And I thought, this is not Wing Chun alignment, this is Aikido alignment. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, there's my hands there. Hang on, I'm holding the blocking. Yeah. And everything started to kind of tick, 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 start clicking yeah. into place on another level. And, and then, I think that when that happens, what you're finding is the, the core fundamental principles of hoplology, of the universal yes. rules and principles and fundamentals of human combative behavior. Like yeah. There's only that, so many ways. Those I love, I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's... and. That's what's missing is it's too easy for so many people to just say, you know, this is our style. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing this style, if you, your foot is not exactly there, at exactly that angle, exactly that point, then you're not doing this right. And mm -hmm. that bugs me. Well, isn't it that, that, that old uh, SNL skit uh, from Mike Myers? The if it's not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> that attitude. <laughs> That's true, though. It um, is. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, yeah, that's basically and, it. And it's it's it, a lot of martial arts very much as a my way or the highway. And right. I, I hasten to add, Aikido has a huge amount of elitism. Yeah, and there it, is. I'm sure people disagree with that. And uh, if you disagree with that, you're wrong. I'm well, sorry. And, and Aikido is hugely elite. Into, into the sport yeah. arts, it goes into the combatives, and that's oh, actually, it goes into uh, everything. Yeah, uh, something I wanted to bring up too because it seems that with. I do, I do definitely think that there's a, a big drift and has been for the last 20 or 30 years towards reality-based martial art training. Like it's gotta be effective. The fantasy stuff is, is losing ground and has lost a tremendous amount of ground. And, and in my opinion, th thankfully it has. I don't have any space for the mystics or the, the nonsense garbage or the, you know, the hypnotists and all that. I hate that stuff. What I see are the two primary influences are sport fighting and mm -hmm. combatives. And those combatives can come from things like Marine Corps martial arts. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Some of the stuff like urban combatives and, you know, some of the very real reality based, which tends to be look more like 
I suppose Krav Maga would be in there, uh, or at least it did. I think it's it's evolving too, or devolving. It's changing. It's devolving. It's changing. Yeah. yeah. But there's some, you know, lately that have come out that are that, in my opinion, are really great. But they basically are you unleash a berserker kind of a, an approach, and mm -hmm. and this is the the part that I think that Aikido does really well is that Aikido can scale itself based on yes. how much you need. Extremely. When mm -hmm. you get into that combative stuff, which is great for what it does, but it's more a militaristic, you have no zero regard for anybody but you. And you, you want to just annihilate somebody as quickly as possible. I believe, because I've studied combatives myself and trained them, and they've influenced my Aikido. You do need to have a high end. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You need to have high end skills that if you are in an absolute hurricane of violence, you better have some answer for that. But that can't be your only gear. You Correct. have to yeah. be able to, to scale because most realistic violence will happen somewhere on that, that scale. I mean, unless mm -hmm. you're in San Quentin or some kind of heavy duty prison yeah. Yeah. or in, you know, the worst places in, in the city. And granted, there, there are things you need to know about surviving physical violence in those places. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I give people I like Lee Morrison and, uh, Jeff Thompson, mm. great props for teaching. That's their yeah. realm. That is the, their world. And um, this this changes with your environment and your country as well, because yes. it's how how you can adopt, not adopt, how you can adapt to a, an escalating situation in the US is very different from how you can adapt to an escalating situation in the UK. Mm -hmm. we, in the UK, we are only allowed to use reasonable force. Right. And that's, so that's, that, that's similar here uh, yeah. as well. <clears throat> is yeah, it really? So, uh, I mean, what it means is if, if someone pulls a knife on you over in the UK, you still can't do anything to them unless the intent to use that weapon is really clear. Mm. So yeah, I don't think we're and, quite that, that persnickety. Yeah. It's, so if, if I were to, for example, if someone pulled a knife on me and I grabbed a brick, and I hit him in the face with a brick and he dropped the knife, then was reaching for it again. Then I hit him again with the brick. I could theoretically be done for serious assault mm -hmm. because he was unarmed while I hit him a second time with a weapon. Mm. What I should have done is put the brick down and try to subdue him, theoretically. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, I've got students in the police force who try to, and I bring them in very often to explain this to people, is that it, it's very easy for it to be misconceived in the UK, whereby the level of violence you're allowed to take against another human being is, is extremely, it's a very narrow line, <laughs> you know, well, and it's... I think that's also another influence on the evolution of, of martial arts, too, is... Uh, how the legal system has evolved to yeah. prosecute uh, people that cause injury. And it doesn't seem to matter much who started it. It's who, who had the most injury and then who yeah. did it to him. And that's the person who is usually the, the target of prosecution. Yeah. That happens I, to us too. I had a, a friend, I've not spoken to him for many years. He disappeared I don't mean physically, but, well, technically he did, because I don't know where he is or what he's doing now. I trained with him for about 10 years, and he was ex-military, and he was uh, he was outside his house in Glasgow. Actually, he was outside his mother's house. He'd taken his, his old mum, who was about 75, shopping, 
and was walking with the shopping bags, helping his mother get shopping into the house. And someone came up to him and threatened him with a sharpened screwdriver. And the altercation escalated and the guy didn't go for him, he went for his mother. And my colleague, I'm purposely not mentioning names here, took the knife off him and stabbed him in the leg with it. Mm. His military training kicked in and he thought, I've got to take this guy down or somebody's going to get hurt. So they so the police arrived and they were both arrested. And my colleague faced serious assault charges. The charges against the original implicator were dropped because of the injuries inflicted on him by my friend in the UK. Now, I'm not saying it's the same now. You know, and if you but, told me that happened in the US, it would not have surprised me one little bit that, that the yeah. outcome was, was was that same way. Because yeah. you know, I one of my former colleagues in, in Aikido was a former prosecutor. And so, you know, he's told me a lot about how things went kind of back in the day. And then there's that was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and things are have gotten even That's weirder. Roughly the same we can do a whole show on that. Yeah. Oh, crikey, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that as people look into what, what do they want from a martial art, uh, protecting yourself from the law is just as much of a concern because that can ruin Absolutely. your life every bit as somebody oh, who's yeah. a screwdriver. Sometimes more. Yeah, sometimes yeah. more. Yeah, you can heal perhaps physically, maybe not mentally from an assault, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to heal from the implications of a legal yep. issue. And just to answer that, and I wanted to cover this too, is that if you're if you're looking for a martial art, it's not the art that's going to get you that level of skill and control. You can no, it's not. a premier level wrestler could take control of somebody and not harm them. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, many other arts could do that. A, a high level boxer could probably knock that guy out so quick that he never had a chance to put that screwdriver into him. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the art. It's how much time and how much skill you build to get that level of control. And I think mm -hmm. that, that a lot of what people expect out of Aikido, especially even long-term Aikido practitioners, they want their art to be the soft, subtle, um, ghost-like manipulation of somebody. That's mm -hmm. not the art. That's the level of skill that, that is going on. I think that that's the people that were okay and uh, for Ueshiba, Morhai, commented about that he said i got near him and i'd never felt myself touched but i was being manipulated all over the place i don't know mm -hmm. how i got to the ground it's you're not gonna that's not gonna be aikido when you're a when you're you know fourth cue or even no it's not showdown. no like don't, don't even expect that that's gonna be the case yeah and so almost every art if you if you dedicate yourself you're gonna find that same soft subtle slippery cunning you know, but that takes a lot of practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's I mean, not, you're not going to get that walking in the door. Um, yeah. The first it, time I get a lot hit. of roughness to get to that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, the first time I get punched by the German who was teaching me Wing Chun, I thought, oh, that was weird. And then the ache hit me. And mm. I thought, oh, that was really bizarre. That kind of it, it hit me in the chest. And I, it was about three seconds later, I felt it in my back. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh, and then everything just kind of seized up. And it was just such a, I wasn't, it didn't even feel like a hit. It was mm -hmm. so bizarre. 
but he mm. just dropped his body weight and went bang and hit me. And I thought, ooh, you know, and then I was like, then my lung went, oh. <laughs> made that funny noise. And I thought, oh, Christ, that's really discomforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't want to hit with too many of them. Mm-hmm. And it was really bizarre. And yeah, it's the same thing that this level of capability of projecting your body m- mass into another being to alter and change its physicality to allow you to put technique on takes 30, 40 years of worth of training. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that happens quickly. Which and it's I think not like is Aikido why... has invented a shortcut to get you there. In fact, no, it hasn't. I would no, even argue no. the, the opposite. They, yeah. Within most of Aikido, they make practitioners and students take a painstakingly long time longer than they really should need there's a lot of bs to cut through a lot of yeah exactly they, they <laughs> if you're unfortunate as an instructor you know i look at you know the the teaching method that i inherited and of course i've tried to add my own kind of flavor to it and, or, and try to find a more direct route to try to waste less time because you know when you when you if you were training somebody four hours a day seven days a week you could waste a lot of time and get build mm-hmm. skill with them when you're only with them a few hours a week, you mm-hmm. you got to take the most direct route. You can't be wasting, you know, 20, 30 minutes with some useless exercise. You want to get get them, mm-hmm. you know, up up to the ladder, so to speak, without without wasting yeah. their time or your time or confusing them or giving them mixed messages. You want clarity, you know, mm-hmm. build the skill directly. And I'm not saying that there are shortcuts because there no there are no shortcuts, but there certainly is wasting time. And, yes, and I think that that's not necessarily an evolution of of the martial art. It's an evolution of teaching, and, and the evolution yeah. of the method and the science of of instructing and and mm-hmm. drawing out skills from in students, imparting their skills and abilities within them mm-hmm. in a direct manner. Um, um, absolutely, yeah. It's that's one of my biggest bugbears is where I I teach technique and how I teach. Uh, Shihonagi for ninth Q. I was just teaching my red belts there with a three-hour course yesterday and I've told them what I'm teaching you at red belt at yellow belt is going to be slightly different because I'm going to be looking for more mm-hmm. but I'm not going to sh- try and get you to do that straight away. I'm going to show you this. This is the most direct route to red belt right here. This is what you do. Foot there, hand there, turn that, cut that, bring that up, cut them down, smack the head off the ground if you have to. Uh, it happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then at yellow belt I may be looking for a little bit more technical at orange belt I may be looking for a little bit more fluidity at green belt I may be looking for a little bit of a combination of the two and the thing it becomes an, an evolution of your training yeah. but in order for that technique to become usable and purposeful from the instant you walk in the dojo is an incredibly difficult thing mm-hmm. and that's why I always start with the most simplistic techniques uh, and again, I've been criticised for teaching people how to punch. And it's like, because it's when people come in, they want to defend themselves. The easy, I, I used to joke about this all the time. It's, it's, you, you know, I've got, I've got third in Aikido, third in Karate. Uh, and I studied Shukokai, which was quite a direct karate. It wasn't a big, long Shotokan style. It's kind of shorter style designed for fighting. Mm-hmm. And give me 30 minutes to an hour, and I'll show somebody how to kick and punch straight ahead with enough capability that they can do it. It's not going to pass kata gradings, it's not going to pass gradings, but they'll feel confident in themselves. 
So when people come in wanting to learn how to do Aikido, I have to teach them how to attack. Because as they go through their Aikido development, if they can't attack their opponent, their opponent's not going to react appropriately. And also, it's somewhere for them to start. They can start with, well, I left the class tonight and I learned this basic punch, which is more than I learned when I walked in the door. And while a lot of people don't consider it as mainstream Aikido, it's, it's still an incredibly important part of the martial art. You can't one be of the, a well-rounded martial artist if you don't know how to, how to hit. Oh, yeah. You have to hit hard and not, not yeah. just you know, touch somebody, but I mean, yeah. lay exactly. some PSI into them. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Have you ever met a Michelin star chef that only uses a spoon? I don't right. think so. You, you know, <laughs> it it's not going to happen. Right. You know? So it's you have to be able to use the tools that you have to hand. And these are the most direct tools. Fists, elbows, knees, and these all come into play. So later on, when you start building on technique and showing them where a temi lie, you know, for example, Shihonagi goes wrong. Well, you just slip an elbow up smack him in the face with the elbow, then you're into Sokomeni Rimanagi. Mm-hmm. You know, while he's holding his bloody nose. Uh, it's, it's all things that they can learn to take on board as part of that larger whole. And that's and, come from me doing years of karate, judo, aikido, mm-hmm. you know, various martial arts, wrestling, all this kind of thing. And it brings us back to that starting point, is that there are no bad martial arts. There are only bad teachers and bad martial artists. That's true. You know, and exactly the, and I, I'll start students with a, with a shove and a push. In fact, I put both of those on the yellow belt test because you have to show <laughs> that you can shove somebody and make them take about four steps backwards and you better be able to hit hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, it makes them, does a couple things. One is, and I like, I like how you describe this because I think that this is something every instructor absolutely positively has to do is when a student walks out of a particular class, they have to say, wow, I noticed a big improvement. I noticed I noticed that I can do something now that I can learn something. Yeah. Like that's, that's something. the baseline. If you're not doing that on a regular basis, you need to learn to be a better instructor. Yeah. And yeah. I'll tell you, as an instructor, if I walk out of class not learning something, mm-hmm. that's not right either. I need to learn something as an instructor. So yeah. whether it's finding a different way to do something, finding a different way to apply technique, finding a different approach to help someone understand their own level of ability, finding a different approach that allows someone to gain some clarity on movement, identifying that perhaps someone with a lower back injury can't move their foot a certain way, identifying whether or not a shorter person has to work differently against someone of a greater height or greater weight. If I don't leave a class feeling as though I've learned something, then an alarm bell goes off in my head because I think, how much effort did I really put into that class? Yeah. And the, se- the second thing that it adds in there is ukes that know how to attack for real and not fluffy, oh, nonsense, yeah. dead, uh, you know, beat puppet, yeah. stupid attacks, you know, which will make a yeah. nagi feel good because there's no threat, there's no emotional content, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm about to do a, a, an interview with Duncan Francis about being a good uke. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to that one because he's done some really great videos lately about how can yeah. we Sorry. fix Aikido, so I, I think... Uh. I'm, be I'm laughing because, uh, again, it's a little anecdote. Um, <laughs> a couple of my students were on a course and there was a sixth man pulled up these guys and they're all attacking him. And then they pulled up one of my students. And as soon as they pulled him up, you know that 1980s problem, whenever people go off a ramp, 
and you see her in the back of your head. And I was like, okay, he's just pulled him up. And he went, right, okay, attack. And my student and he went, boof, smacked him right in the nose. <laughs> and then he went, oh, okay. And to his credit, he asked him to attack again and he was able to do the technique. Mm-hmm. And he went, well, hopefully that will go better this time. And he went, you, and he chose another guy. And I thought, oh no. And it was the, the ex-military guy from my club. And he went, right, attack. Boom, straighten the nose again. Bust his nose wide open. And, and this is like, wow. I'm sitting there going, oh, no. And then uh. a part of me is going, oh, no. And a part of me is going, yes. And a part of me is going, hee, hee, hee. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this information. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the course, I come up and he went, those two guys, goes, are those your students? And I went, yeah sense of there and he went oh, I thought that and he walked away and that was the best compliment anyone's ever given me oh that's it's just he knew they were my students because they reacted the way I would have <laughs> you know it's funny because back from my, my sport fighting days you know I you get to that point where you understand range and threat and when yeah, somebody starts yeah. to come into that you you naturally start to activate and I've run into so many Aikidoka that have zero comprehension of what that danger range is. Mm-hmm. And even Shihans that will yeah. make mistakes like what you're talking about. I, I still have a mental video in my mind. I was at a, a seminar years ago, and this is one of the last seminars that, that I attended just mm-hmm. because I was kind of so disgusted after this whole thing went up, went down. And he had... Uh, he similar to you, he came in and he signaled this guy to, to come in and, and uh, he tried to, sh- he was trying to show how relaxed and casual he could be about dealing with an attack. And <laughs> the guy comes in with his attack and he kind of raises his hand, but he doesn't deflect it enough. And he doesn't oh, no. stop line and he catches a finger right in the eye. And he, had, he, had, he had already directed a second attacker. Like this was a Randori situation. The second guy comes in and just hits him right in the belly. And I, I, I just, I was standing there with a friend of mine who also has his own dojo, and we looked at each oh, other, no. just kind of going, "Oh dear." <laughs> oh no! But you know, it's it, he just tried it's to make funny. everything look so nonchalant about, "Oh, look at how easy it is to just shed these attacks off," and he yeah. just totally gets poked in the eye and hit in the gut. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and this was seventh on. You know, I, yeah. Just, okay, but that's is, that's that's what happens, Tristan. Is they become they fall into their own belief system right. and they fall yes. into their own bubble and they believe entirely in that bubble mm-hmm. and that's where the the greatest problem with Aikido lies is that the public a lot of public perception about Aikido is that it's it's rubbish it doesn't work it's fake mm-hmm. and to some extent they're correct a lot of what you see out there would not function correctly mm-hmm. but it functions in the terms of okay I have a belief and you have a belief and you attack me on that belief system. And this is what I do. And this is what you do. And it works. Right. But when and it comes to oftentimes it's a very patterned choreography. Absolutely. It's dance. It can make you feel like, Oh yeah, this would actually really work. It's, it's, you know, a sophistry. It's something that seems plausible. Yes. Until you add in the variable of, okay, the choreography is different. It's not. Yeah. And, that all that variable needs to be is 20 pounds of extra pressure. Right. Or a faint. I mean, a faint. Yeah. Oh. can deal with a twitch faint, you know, or, or oh, yeah. something like that. It just throws them way off. Yeah. And, and that's to, to me, I mean, I lived on faking people because boy, you can hit, it's easy to hit somebody if you fake them out of their socks. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That is, that is. Trust me, I've done that. Oh yeah, I've, 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 <laughs> I've, I've, I've had that. Yep. <laughs> you know, and um, I've learned the hard way. And having that, that this is where the confidence comes in. And this is what I love about Aikido as a martial art mm-hmm. is that if you approach it from an honest perspective and understand that a lot of the techniques are demonstrative, a lot of the techniques are applicable. You have to identify which are which. You know, mm-hmm. I love Kaiten Nagi. I would never attempt Kaiten Nagi in a real situation unless they were drunk heavily drunk <laughs> and you know possibly handcuffed and maybe <laughs> maybe wearing a clown suit or something right. i don't know but it, you know it's 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 applicability is not there but when you look at the historical nature of what kaiten nagi is and the joe movements that go between it and how it brings you up into a uh, hassle gaishi and that type of thing it's beautiful mm-hmm. now if you then take that that kaiten nagi movement and you hold a spear you've got a very different situation where you're striking somebody in the face, drawing their arm down and speeding them through the side of the neck. Mm-hmm. It suddenly develops an entirely different concept. Mm-hmm. You practice the, the weapon movement by doing the body movement and you practice body movements by doing the weapon movements. And if those two are complete, and this is a, an entirely different conversation, if those two do not correlate with each other, if your weapon movements are done in a different posture from your body movements, then what you're doing are two separate things and you're not tying the two together. And that's one of my biggest bugbears with Aikido at the moment is that I look at how people do technique, then I watch them do weapons, and none of the two match up. Right. Their postures are entirely different. So what are you doing the weapons work for? Were you graded separately in that? Is that a different name? Is it something entirely different? Why are you doing that and calling it Aikido when that doesn't relate to your weapons? And But again, that's an entirely different conversation. Right. But um, when it comes to the applicability of this martial art, there are certain techniques that work. And trust me, Anyone who's listening to this, I've trained guys in the police, I've trained guys in the military, I've trained guys, more importantly, in the prison service who've had to use it almost on a daily basis. And there are some techniques that work and some have told me with 100% surety because they tried it and there's some techniques that have ended up with them in the infirmary mm-hmm. uh, because it just does not work. Right. And that's allowed me vicariously to look at this and think, right, okay, teach the whole syllabus, identify which is the, your top six, 10 techniques you want to teach for applicability and identify the rest as technical Aikido. You know, I, I've taken and, a very similar approach. In fact, that bridges me to one the, the, the last topic I wanted to hit here. Um, although I shouldn't say last because I could sit and talk with you all night. Um, <laughs> just recently, the Henner uh, uh, and Hiron Gracie came out with a video called What is a Blue Belt? And it's mistitled, but it is a fantastic uh lecture about their experience with the curriculum of teaching Gracie mm. Jiu-Jitsu. And, um, you know, I really liked the idea. Firstly, they, they identified they were having very high student turnovers. And bear with me, because this does this comes right exactly into what we we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They were getting high student turnover rates. They were getting tons of injuries. Um, they were getting, and they had to sit down and identify what's going wrong here. And they were having trouble keeping enough students in their dojo. What was happening was they were getting brand new people that were coming in and rolling with six month and a year students. They were getting outclassed. Uh, These students were getting overwhelmed and they were quitting uh, right away. And so what I really like that, and I related this to how I reorganized my curriculum the way, similar way that they did, 
which is they said, what we really need to do, because most people that come in the door, and I thought, I, in my opinion, this was an absolute gold statement, golden statement in this video. It said, people that come in the door to study this art want to learn to defend themselves. That's, mm -hmm. that, in my opinion, that is a main interest of anybody that takes up any martial art. Yeah. They're not there for friendship, spiritualism, all the woo-woo stuff. At the end of the day, whether they admit it to, the, to themselves or not, or to you, they want to learn the ability not to be dominated by another person. They want to be able to defend themselves. That may be like their secondary. Maybe they want to get in shape. Maybe they want to get their body moving, whatever. Um, but it is there. But it's that there. is present. And they identified that and said, you know what? We're going to make that our core principle. And we're going to have it. This was how it related to the title. What is a blue belt? They said, we're going to teach the Gracie combative subset of the entire Gracie system in that first year or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, year, year and a half, whatever it takes to get to be a blue belt. But that's the foundation. That's the first part. And basically that describes how I reoriented my Aikido curriculum to say that first six to nine months for the yellow belt is going to be focused primarily on solid self-defense, Aikido-based yeah. solid self-defense things that will build confidence right away. You know, um, and what then they said, uh, within Gracie Jiu Jitsu, they said after blue belt, now we get into turning this into a sport. The first year that up to blue belt, now you're facing a, 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 an attacker that's probably not trained or has very little training in mm -hmm. a real type situation. That is the overarching umbrella. Then once you get blue belt, now you're facing somebody who's got some skill. Now you're, mm -hmm. face, now you're getting into the technical sport aspect. And of course, you know, he admitted in there that, that a lot of times people get to blue belt and then they quit shortly afterwards. Mm -hmm. Personally, I, I would say, I would ask, okay, is the reason they quit is they like the stuff they did in the blue belt realm. And they're, they're not as interested in getting into the, the human Tetris game, chess game that is competitive mm -hmm. sport jujitsu. Maybe they don't want to compete. Maybe they're just, you know, they don't want to get into it that deeply. And I mm -hmm. respect that I that they that Gracie's they have a combative program within there. I think Aikido should have that, and yeah. should do exactly what you talked about. It's like how do you classify the Aikido techniques and methods and strategies and principles, and condense them and give that start giving that to the new people quickly so that they can start to feel that confidence build instead of saying, okay, you've been here a week, you're going to be here 20 years before you're going to get some practical skill. But which mm -hmm. is kind of a ubiquitous message for most of Aikido. It's don't count on having anything for 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, take a, yeah. and in my opinion, that's the reason why either people come in and, and quit after a short amount of time is they're told you're going to have to spend half your life doing this to get anything useful out of it. Or they're not given anything practical in the first couple of months. And they're like, why am I doing this? I'm just wasting my time. This is taking forever. I don't feel like I'm making any progress or I don't, mm -hmm. I don't I'm not walking out of class going, I'm, I'm, I feel empowered like to me mm -hmm. and that's i think the the gracie's struck on that i think every good martial art instructor has found a similar formula to that of you get these people something tangible early don't make them wait forever for it yeah and you can't blame your students and say well these people don't have a, a, enough of attention span okay 50 100 years ago fine you can you can have somebody maybe urge them to or demand that they they dedicate five, 10 years to even get started. But, you know, nowadays 
people have to see a return on their investment, especially with the amount Absolutely. of cost that's yeah. related to joining a club and the, the, t- the time it takes out of their schedule. But people don't have time the way that they did, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know how it's over there, but over here, but people are measuring their days by the minutes. And so mm-hmm. they don't want to waste time and money on something that doesn't seem to have a, a future to it. And I, and that's where I think, you know, not, it's not just in the techniques themselves, but in how we, how we craft the student experience, I think. is Yes. Yeah. That's a great phrase. I'm going to pinch that the student experience, because it's, uh, that's essentially what it comes down to is that anyone entering your class, whether you teach karate, Aikido, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, whatever, it doesn't matter. What they experience in those first couple of months is either going to keep them or deter them from wanting to come back. And identifying their desire from the get-go what their expectations are and tempering those expectations against what they can conceivably learn within a given time period in an honest fashion, mm-hmm. rather than drawing them into the cult right. mentality is absolutely critical. And it's it, it, it's a policy that until you mentioned it, I thought, do I do that? And then I thought, yes, I do. I've always done that because I've just got this, I've, I've, I've always preferred to have that open and honest approach where the first night someone comes in one of the first things i show them is tenshinage and Nikyo. that's one of my favorites too tenshinage and i'm a big fan of the fairburn combatives i don't know if you know about the which uh fairburn the guy oh, who, fairburn, invented the yep. Ro- the, who invented the royal marine commandos yep great stuff huge amount of aikido in there huge amount of jiu-jitsu in there mm-hmm. and it's short sharp straight to the point yep. and no nonsense. it's it's no nonsense at all. Yep. And it's, uh, I can see the link between that Aikido and what these guys were teaching back in the Second World War. And it's drawing those parallels. This is where you're going. What I show them is this is where you're going with it, but this is where I want you to be right now. Mm-hmm. And this is where this can be effective. And Although you might not understand it at the moment, this is the root technique this is coming from. It's just been shortened and sharpened and made into a weapon. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now we'll teach you the weaponized, weaponized, weaponized Aikido. Maybe that's the name of my book. Yeah. I was going to call it applied Aikido. I may call it weaponized Aikido. It's you know, funny, it's funny you mention that because that's a term that, that was used in my dojo. Uh, oh, really? Wow. Was, was, okay, now we're, now let me, this is the technique. Let me show you the weaponized version. Of oh, wow. Well, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. great. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll stick with applied Aikido. Don't worry. No, no, but, uh, take it. Steal it. It's, it's, it's worth <laughs> it. Weaponized Aikido sounds awesome. Uh, well, and that's the like, other thing, too. Like, I do feel that there is a certain kind of to jump back to the very beginning. There's a marketing element to this. When an average layperson hears applied Aikido, they're like, "What the hell does that mean?" They hear what does that mean? Like, really? Okay, you can weaponize. You know, it's got yeah, kind of it. that sexy feel to it. And and I, yeah. as much as I'm a substance guy over a style guy, I do realize that style and pizzazz has has a way of drawing people. You can't ignore that part, and you do have to cater to it a little bit it is and unfortunately Aikido's taken a lot of kicks in the happy sacks over the years Mm -hmm. because of elements online the the, the online market and 
the development of YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. It's been the worst thing for Aikido because it's the worst Aikido people have gone out there and flooded the market with stuff. Well, and I, I would have to say too that <laughs> it, the criticism it's got has been very well deserved. Like it is <laughs> not, it is not unjust criticism. I was just about to say that. It's and, and what it's done anything, is shown a light it's on almost it. like a. It feels to me like a a surgery or a cauterization. It's something yeah, that yeah. a painful thing that needs to happen for healing to start. If we take these yeah. lessons and improve the art to, Absolutely. to try the crap that has caused the reputation yeah. problem. I mean, discussed. when it first started, I got really offended by it, you know, mm -hmm. about eight, eight years ago. And I thought, look, there's all these people decrying what I'm doing and they don't know anything about it. Right. And then I went and looked at the, at the videos they were talking about, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's terrible. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, yeah, you can't, you can't say that they're going to get it wrong. You know? And I was like, no, they're not wrong. They're right. This is awful. How do we combat this? And it felt like there was a black hole where the whole art was falling into because, but what it was good is it shone a light on this horrible underbelly of this martial art where there is a lot of rubbish out there and people are teaching rubbish and they're not tying it to the traditional martial roots and the Budo roots of what Aikido can be. And, you know, even O-Sensei himself, everyone seems to think this guy was some sort of floating saint that went about his entire life on a cloud, like King Monkey back in the days. I, 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 when you read up some of the stuff, you know, it was a bit of a closet psychopath, personally. Yeah. It was a bit of a nutcase. And um, it was a hard man. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's painted this picture of him of being this loving, spiritual individual, you know. And I, I can't remember who it was. I was reading an interview with someone once, and they asked his son about when, when O-Sensei became this spiritual man. And I seem to remember... Uh, I think it was Kishimaru Ishima spat his drink out across the table. Oh, yeah. We said, when did your father become a pacifist? That's it. So, pacifist. That was it. Like, he yeah. actually just laughed and said, yeah, my father was never a pacifist. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's just how people have taken and manipulated over the years. And it suits a certain mindset. It suits a certain mentality. Right. And on, Aikido's now polarized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel personally Aikido's polarized. You, you have this extreme, extreme left and this kind of middle right mm -hmm. <laughs> variable where you have the people who want to do something with it. And there's a, an incredible amount of folk out there doing this, you know, showing this is where Aikido comes from. This is what you can do with it. And just like we're talking about there with the syllabus, making this cater to the requirements of what people are needing from their training, learn the basics, learn the fundamentals of where the, I'll use the term again, the weaponization comes in. Then spend the next 15 years developing that and it's something beautiful, but you'll always have that. Right. But if you never go to that, you might have something beautiful, but it's rotten at its core. Right. It doesn't understand its roots. It's kind of and like any... having a, a, a glass door. It, it's beautiful, but you can put a yeah. boot through it and it doesn't really function as a door. Yeah. I, I, but... I was thinking of a tree actually yeah. that's rotten on the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, it might look wholesome on the outside. It might have branches. It might even have a couple of leaves, but if you kick it hard enough yeah it'll just crumble and the inside's rotted and you know when, you, when you use the phrase that it shines a light i in my opinion the internet uh and the, the proliferation of sharing videos online has been that light that is shine and the phrase yeah. that, that, that leapt to mind is 
if something can be destroyed by the truth, it should be destroyed by the truth. And, very true. And, yeah. I, and I very much believe that shining a light on all of these, not just in Aikido, but in all of the martial arts, shining a light on the charlatans, on the people that are fakes, that are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cult, cults of personality, sort of these, uh, you know, I think, I think everybody should see them, should absolutely see them for what they are and expose, you know, expose them. The, the light of day, they only mm -hmm. thrive in the darkness. They thrive when nobody yes, they sees do. what they, what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I personally, I'm thankful. And I, I'm in the same boat that you are. It pains me to see that Aikido has gotten such a bad reputation. I understand why it's there, but it doesn't make it any more palatable. Mm -hmm. the, the art as a whole has a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. When it's really, it's not the art as a whole. It's certain elements within the art. Right, exactly. That are, so it's, I would love to be able to isolate them. And that, bring, that brings up something you mentioned, I think in a previous chat I had, Tristan, is do we need to change the perceptibility of Aikido? Does it need a different name? Does it need a different direction? Yes. You, you, you know, do we need to detach ourselves from that? The mm -hmm. same as O-Sensei did when he detached himself from Aikido to Aikido. Yeah. And may maybe and, that is the case. I mean, I I'd love to not give up on it. I'd, same here, I'd like same to, here. yeah, but, but I can see, you know, as a dojo owner, you know, I wonder when somebody sees my website, do they say, Oh, Aikido, pff, I know what nonsense that is. And they just blow it off. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't answer. I don't have a full answer for that, but I'm always thinking about it, always contemplating what, oh, yeah, better yeah. Way, you know, maybe we could do a whole yeah. other episode on that one, but um, <laughs> I would, I, I, I would hate to give in and let Aikido completely go into irrelevance because people who want it to be practical abandon it. And I know many, Absolutely. many yeah. practitioners that, that came up through the ranks, they loved it. And they just said, you know what, this is not martial enough. I need to go and do something that's more what mm -hmm. I want to be doing. And they leave for other arts. And I'm like, these people are the gems. They are the ones that a good martial art would be, they'd be the, the legs that that martial art is propped up by. Absolutely. And it's knowledge lost, it's experience lost, it's yeah. capability it's skill lost. Yeah. yeah. And passion. Passion, yeah, and energy. Yeah. That, yeah. that gets lost. And, and what remains is pretty much just a hollow shell of, you know, people that like dressing up and, and kind of prancing around. And like, you know, you can have a certain number of people like that in an art, but when they are mm -hmm. all of it, I think the art's doomed. So, you know, I personally don't want to give up on it yet, but I can... I'm always on any given day, you know, which way should I go? I don't know. Same here. Same here. I've got options there and I'm very passionate and I love this particular martial art, yeah. this budo, uh, for what it is and what it can be. But I do realize it's kind of like, you know, it's going to be too much of a marketing mess to recover from. It, it's very possible. It's possible. Yeah. So it's very possible. Well, on that note, I think this has been a great conversation. I, I know we could keep going, but uh, I think we're just we're over even an hour and a half. But uh, thank you so much, Stephen. Mm -hmm. This has been a great conversation, as always. Yeah, um, no, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Tristan. Yeah, I've gone from being a person to a floating head because it's got <laughs> dark turning over into a ghost. Turning <laughs> into a ghost <laughs> slowly right. through the conversation. So uh, I don't know if you know the show Red Dwarf, yes. <laughs> but I'm starting to look like Holly from Red Dwarf. Um, <laughs> as this conversation goes on and i'm desperately trying to get into the light as we're talking but no it's been a fabulous conversation uh as always you know thank you for having me you bet thank you uh thank you for being had so talk <laughs> to you soon Stephen, and i'm sure we'll have another conversation here soon cheers tristan thank you 
Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.